This is KOS the Scientist on the Science and Spook Podcast. The title of this episode is Beyond Keefe D, the KOS Theory of the Tupac and Biggie Murders. So before I go into this, I want to go back to episode five. I want to encourage you to check it out. AI, the five factors and the new Draco. And I want to share a couple of tools I'm using in addition to chat GPT. One is pi.ai. It's more conversational style chat GPT. That's pi.ai. And then also check out the Microsoft designer AI tool. So if you want to create anything like a postcard, a book cover, you know, anything with graphics and design, the Microsoft designer tool is a really good place to start where instead of paying people to do this or you spending eight hours on something, these basic tools can really speed up your your processes, whether you're a company, a individual, creator, a small business, but it's going to be beneficial for a lot of the audience to become intimate with these basic tools. So let's dive right into this episode. This is a special one. So let's provide some context. Okay, before the Tupac murder, the environment in Atlanta, Georgia, in the ATL, where students are coming into the Atlanta University Center, and I'm right in the mix of things, is, you know, these parties, it's September and people are are going through orientation in their first classes and there's parties. And students from Connecticut, Detroit, Baltimore, LA, Brooklyn, Cleveland, you know, students from all over the place. They're coming into the ATL and they're starting college. Sophomores coming back, juniors coming back, seniors coming back. So on the ground, when the parties start in September, the college parties start, there's this big East Coast, West Coast thing, right? And the parties themselves are playing it up. You'll see party flyers, East Coast, West, or Tri-State, this, 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 that. So the students were very engaged Although a lot of them or most of them are not really from the streets, but the kind of gangsterism that Defro, Tupac, and some segments in hip hop were promoting, the, co- the HBCU students are engaged in, in these type of activities, right? And so at these parties, people will be throwing up West Side, they'll be throwing East Side, and you'll see fights, and there's a lot of tension in the air within the Black College Mecca in Atlanta, Georgia. So I saw it firsthand, you know, when people say, oh, hip hop, it's just an art form. It doesn't really influence anybody, this and that. Bullshit. Okay. At that time, the East Coast, West Coast beef, it didn't originate with these students, right? This is the hip hop culture and the beef going on in hip hop. And that's transmitted into the local culture and politics, the national culture and politics in Black America. And people are really engaged in this silly beef. Of course, I was engaged with this silly beef, right? It was, I'm a big hip hop fan and I'm part of it, West Side, whatever. But, you know, looking back, you see how silly it is, right? So why are these students or why are these people have beef with Black Americans because they live somewhere else. After the Great Migration, your family went to Harlem and my family went to Los Angeles. What basis do we have to be really be beefing? It was silly. And so if we despook Tupac and say, yeah, he was a prophet, he's 
personally, he's my favorite artist of all time. Okay, that's the artist that I most connect with is Tupac. But if we dispute the celebrity aspect, the profit aspect, before he was murdered, when you add up the W's and the L's, the positives and the negatives at that time in terms of what he was pushing, he was a net negative for Black America when you add everything up because the people, he has the the Black media, of course, is participating Keith Klinkscale's at Vibe. Of course, he put out the East Coast, West. Uh, the magazines are making more money. The record labels, they're going to make more money on this beef. It's an economic aspect, right? And so this stuff is dominating hip hop culture now, this East Coast, West Coast stuff. And people are fighting and dying over it. And even the college students in Atlanta are engaged. Thousands of college students are engaged into this silly East Coast, West Coast beef. So before Tupac was murdered, under death row, he was a net destructive figure in terms of his influence. He was pushing a lot of people into this silly East Coast, West Coast beef. It would be like somebody pushing you into gangbanging. Okay, pushing, hey, 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 we need to start gangbanging more. We need to start beefing more. So although, of course, he had positive messages before you know, he was murdered, but we do have to acknowledge that Tupac had a very destructive cultural force before he was murdered. And we have to despoke that aspect because in real life, in terms of people who were really out there, this East Coast, West Coast stuff was very destructive, right? People were fighting and dying over this stuff. And Tupac was one of the top prophets, if not the top prophet of the East Coast, West Coast beat that's putting the gasoline on the fire. So not that he's the only one, but he's the top one. So to give you a sense of the tensions at that time in 1996 and 1997, when Biggie was murdered, a friend had called me and he said, from LA, he said, we got him when Biggie was murdered. And I'm thinking, we got him? Man, that sounds crazy. We, but... In terms of the hip hop and influence is that's in his psyche. That is us on the West against them on the East. We're not talking about no businesses. We're not talking about no acres of land. We're not talking about anything material. We're just talking about this gangster spook. Okay. And people are feeling that they have ownership of the West Coast. And when Biggie was murdered, he says, we got him. We got him. And that's that's the mentality. That was the mentality among a lot of the youth and young men at that time. They were really engaged in that East Coast, West Coast beat. So, you know, another aspect of the context at that time in 1996, before the Tupac murder was Suge Knight, the artists are scared of Suge Knight. They're fearful of him. He has a lot of respect. Okay, so Fat Joe and other New York artists, they have come out and said that the New York artists, they weren't even going to parties and clubs. Like, you know, hey, there's a party tonight, all you slept. I'm not going because Death Row may be there. And so the respect and fear of Suge was very real. According to the New York, some of the New York artists who are willing to come out and go on the record and, and tell the truth, like Fat Joe, and where 
you could say, hey, the, the New York artists were scary or you know, blah, blah, blah. But the New York artists, they could have just took a position that I'm not involved with that silly LA gang shit. I don't want to go to parties to go fight and be into all the beef and shit like that. We're too smart for that. So it's not about who's scared and all this other shit, that dumb L.A. shit. We're, we may not even want to go to the club because you guys are bringing that dumb L.A. gangbanging shit over here. So the environment at the time was the hip hop artists on the West Coast and East Coast. They're under Suge Knight. OK, Suge Knight more and more is becoming the godfather of hip hop and this is unprecedented in hip hop history. There's never been a hip hop group where, hey, we're not just talking about beef and this and that little diss tracks. We are part of a real street gang and we will come see you. We're going to go to New York and go to all your clubs and you're not going to do nothing about it. And matter of fact, you're not even going to show up. So Death Row was unprecedented in terms of the level of gangsterism that was injected into hip hop where there could be consequences. Okay. You could lose your life in these hip hop beefs that this, there was a certain element, a certain street element that was new in the hip hop industry with Suge Knight and Death Row Records. So the hip hop artists, this spook is being built up among Suge and there's reports of him punking other rappers and this and that. And so Suge is buying into it, right? He used to be a security guard and he's really connected to the streets. No matter if he went, uh, he was a football player at the UNLV, right? He came from a two parent home, but he's still connected to the streets, right? We can't box people in is because someone's a, went to college or they're from a two parent home. Well, at least in Los Angeles, you can't put people in boxes because all because somebody's from a two parent home or they go to college, they can still bust on you. So, you know, there's people out there where, you know, you could really become unlucky, right? When you're stereotyping, you're thinking somebody's this way because they have this particular profile that is, is way more complex in Los Angeles or even with Tupac. People say, oh, he used to go to dance school and, you know, he was involved with dance. So this means this and that. No, that does, that's, that's just one factor, right? The streets and how things go down in Los Angeles and how people grow up. It's, it's complex. So you're not going to really understand it if you start thinking that, hey, if this is this way, this person goes to college, then that means this. Uh, you can really get stuck making these assumptions in terms of the complexity of culture in Los Angeles, uh, where I'm from. This leads us into who is Keefe D? You know, my sources, uh, multiple sources, knew who Keefe D was before all these interviews and, you know, all this stuff coming up, they knew him well. And so, as I mentioned, the artists in the hip hop industry is looking up to Suge, but there's a level above Suge, right? There's people like Wayne Day, Big Honcho out of Watts, Grape Street Watts, where they were like legends. They're the Suge Knight of the streets in LA. So Big Honcho are Keefe D. Uh, so Keefe D was that guy. He's He was the Suge Knight of the street. So the rappers and the hip hop fans, oh my gosh, you know, man, this guy's a real blood and this and this and that. But there was always a level above Suge Knight. And so where Tupac, I think he got caught up in the money, the fame, and Suge Knight is this big guy. 
But I think he lost touch that there's a level above Suge. And Keefe D is on that level above Suge. And I'll say that Tupac got, he was very unlucky that night at the Tyson fight when he started a fight and death row stomped out baby lane or Orlando Anderson, because on the video camera, you see the stomp out, but baby lane was the nephew of Keefe D. So right there, you violated somebody who's on a higher level than Suge Knight. And of course I've never seen any commentary from Suge Knight about Keefe D who Keefe D says he knew him since they were six and seven years old. And so I think Tupac and Suge, they're feeling themselves and they're caught up in the fame and every, and these rappers are scared of them, but these people in the street, there's still people in the street that are on a higher level than you. Right. And so that's where, when we're, whenever, this is for everybody, when we're involved with a lot of spook, right, there's different things that could happen or people who can bring us down to the reality. And I think that night, you know, of course, there was a reason why Tupac went at Baby Lane or Orlando Anderson. A chain was snatched out of the Lakewood Mall. A death row chain was snatched from a death row member. In LA at that time, I used to go to the Lakewood Mall and I seen a chain snatched by the Crips at the Cerritos Mall. In LA at that time, chain snatching was a big deal. The Crips would come to the malls and they would try to go to the more suburban areas. And if somebody was wearing their chain, they would snatch the chains. And so the death row chain was snatched at Lakewood Mall. And of course, Baby Lane is uh, alleged to have been in that group at the Lakewood Mall. And so the death row Tupac and the death row people, of course, step to, to Baby Lane and they stomp him out. But of course, Tupac, he's unlucky that day because, hey, that's not only a full-time member of the Southside Crips, right? And there's hierarchies within the LA gangs. Uh, and so, you know, within the gangs in LA, you have the Mob Pyru Bloods, you got the West Side Pyru, you got the Bounty Hunters, you got Grape Street Watts, you got Santana Block, you got Rolling 60 Crips, you got Hoover Crips. So within these gangs, you still have the bigger killers. So like a sports ranking or a college football rankings, within these gangs, they know within the gangs, the rankings in terms of who's putting in the most work in terms of murders, body count, right? The South Side Crips are at the top of the gangster hierarchies in LA. So when Tupac got unlucky, he was messing with the gang that are, are really, really known as big killers in Los Angeles, among the gang gangs, among the OGs, that that gang puts in a lot of work. So that night, Tupac was messing around with the wrong people. He was unlucky. And so when he started a fight with Baby Lane and, and stopped him out, it so happens that the Crips are rolling deep and they're loaded in Las Vegas. And so it's not a big revelation that at this point that the Crips killed Tupac. And so there's no new information. That's not new information that, of course, they got in the car. And of course, you see all these uh, conspiracy theories out there when this first happened. But if we just spook this situation and just figure out, okay, so Tupac was in a fight and he died shortly after. Okay, who was he in a fight with? Okay, he's got in a fight with the Southside Killer Crips. Okay, 
and he got in a fight with the nephew of Keefe D, who's a real Suge Knight in the streets. People who are in this gangster stuff full time, the Bloods and the Crips, they know who Keefe D is. So you're saying that Tupac was messing around with him. He was messing around with Keefe D's nephew. Okay. Oh, and so he died shortly after. Okay, so that happens all the time in the streets in terms of, hey, somebody's getting jumped. Somebody gets embarrassed or disrespected. The other gang is going to come back blasting. The other person is going to come back blasting. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So you'll see interviews where Keefe D says that Baby Lane pulled the trigger and murdered Tupac. But- you know, I've read of people because Keefe D says it, they just believe it. You know, Keefe D said Baby Lane pulled the trigger. Well, Baby Lane was murdered doing gangbanger shit. And this is just a this is just like a testament of who Baby Lane was. That if you're gangbanging all the time, well, you're likely so you know, a couple of things can happen. So Baby Lane was murdered doing gangbanging stuff. Right. So after Baby Lane is murdered, nothing to do with the Tupac case, but Baby Lane was murdered in the line of duty of being a Southside Crip. So after Baby Lane is murdered, Keefe D says, my nephew, Baby Lane, pulled the trigger. Are we going to take that on face value? No, we're not taking that on face value. So one advantage you'll have in terms of evaluating information is thinking about what the person can't say, right? So you can't say you pulled the trigger because you're not going to incriminate yourself and go to the pen for the rest of your life. Of course, you're going to put that on the dead man, not saying who pulled the trigger, Baby Lane, Keefe D or somebody else. But we know that Keefe D, he can't go and do an interview and tell people he pulled the trigger. It would be convenient for him and opportunistic for him to say, hey, my nephew's dead. He's the one that did it. He, he, he's the one who pulled the trigger, the dead man. So Keefe D, I'm going to get more into this later, but you have to discount some of the information that he's saying about this because he's, I believe, a co-conspirator. Okay. So he, he acknowledges he was in the car when Tupac was murdered. You know, this person is conflicted. And we talked about conflicts of interest in the last episode, but he's conflicted where he can't incriminate himself. So he can't tell you everything unless he's headed to the pen for the rest of his life. So you can't just take whatever he says uh, face value. So, you know, in terms of Keefe Dean, who he was, you know, my sources, multiple sources, of course, they knew Keefe D. They interacted with Keefe D. Bloods and Crips. And they were very familiar with Keefe D. And so when this thing happened, when the murder went down, my sources told me what happened. But, you know, I'm young and I'm hearing all these conspiracy theories. I don't really like buy into it 100%. Although these people are highly credible, highly credible, but it's not like I just take it 100%. Okay. There's something that happens later on where I have to look more about what I was originally told by these sources about what happened with with Tupac. But my main point is the street sources had already told me who Keefe D was. Okay. The streets knew who Keefe D was. And that's important in understanding all of this stuff, that it's not some 
big fairy tale or whatever, but the streets knew who Keefe D was. And so the next thing I want to talk about is how are the Southside Crips connected with Puffy? That was his name at the time, but how were they connected to now Diddy? Okay. So Keefe D and Diddy are connected through a man named Eric Von Zip. And so just like Keefe D, you know, was a shot caller in LA and people like Honcho was a shot caller in LA. Eric Von Zip was a shot caller out of Harlem. Okay. So when he passed away of cancer in 2012, celebrities like Diddy came out, New Amsterdam News, the newspaper uh, did a special report on Zip. So this is not some like conspiracy figure. This person was a real life shot caller who walked the streets of New York City during this time. Okay. And Zip, he knew people on the East Coast and the West Coast, and he knew other shot callers like Keefe D. Okay. And so Keefe D points out that if you don't believe that he had an association with Diddy and Zip, just go check the Usher Can I Get With It video. Uh, because, you know, you see the low rider in the video. Keefe D says that's his low rider in the Usher video. Diddy borrowed that low rider. And so there's people who used to be affiliated with Diddy who verify that there's some association with him and Keefe D in the Southside Crips. For example, uh, giving the Crips supposedly 50 concert tickets where they show up while Diddy is puffy then while he's touring California or West Coast cities and the Crips are showing up and that's kind of like security. And so there's some association between Bad Boy and Diddy and Keefe D and the Southside Crips. And of course, the last part of this episode, I'm going to tell you my theory about how the murders are connected and what really happened with both of them. Okay. So Zip is the connector between Keefe D, Southside Crips and Bad Boy and Diddy. Okay. So there's some communication going on, some activity going on between Bad Boy and the Southside Crips while this East Coast, West Coast stuff is going on. And it could be smart for Diddy where he says, I want to know some people in the street because this, these death row people, Ma Paru, Compton, like these people are really in the streets like that. I may need to know some people in the streets in the West too. So if I want to know some people in the streets, the Southside Crips would be a good affiliate, okay, for protection or people can know that I'm affiliated with them. Whatever the case is, there's some association between Diddy and Keefe D. And I think the conspiracy environment flourishes when people do not come out and give you solid information. So I've never really heard anything from Diddy come out and say, what was the nature of your association with Keefe D? It could put a lot of the conspiracy minded people, it could put them down if Diddy would come out and say, hey, here's the real information. I had some affiliation with him, this, this, and that, but I have not heard anything out of Bad Boy and Diddy over the years where they're providing more information and clarification about this association with, with Keefe D. So Zip, of course, just remember that name if you want to do some research uh, at home about this. Uh, his name is Eric Von Zip, and that's the connector between Diddy and the Southside Crips. 
And so when Zip died, New Amsterdam News, they published this. As he was well-liked by many, scores passed through the doors of Benta's funeral home to pay their last respects, including Sean Puff Diddy, Combs, Lil' Kim, and Big Joe. I'm thinking when they say Big Joe, they're talking about Fat Joe. People flew in from as far away as California and represented the Midwest and Chicago as well. Anyone who passed by Benta's on the day of this wake knew that someone big had passed away. Okay, so Zip was a shot caller. That's an important figure connecting Southside Crips in Diddy. So another important figure in this case is a journalist, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist named Chuck Phillips. Now he's won multiple awards and he was with the LA Times for decades, I believe almost 20 years. And he published a story in 2002. He published a story he was the first journalist to isolate the Southside Crips in the Tupac murder investigation. So Chuck Phillips, his specialty was in entertainment and corruption. He specialized in that. He was the perfect journalist for this particular situation. He's an investigative journalist. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. This guy is not some journalist just off the street, some flimsy journalist or some flimsy blog just making up stuff. Okay. So Chuck Phillips comes out with this piece and he has sources close to the Southside Crips, like I do myself. And Chuck Phillips, he was discredited years later after he published the story linking the Southside Crips to the murders, he was discredited because an informant had gave him some fake FBI 302 document is just provides kind of information from an informant and the, the document was just fake information. So somebody had supplied Chuck Phillips with some fake information. But what he says from this LA Times story. You can't find the story online anymore because it was retracted. So Chuck Phillips says that that wasn't even central to his story. Although the information was bogus, the FBI 302 report, that doesn't mean what I'm saying or most of the information wasn't solid. Okay. So of course, Diddy and Jimmy Henchman, who's another figure that was you know, involved with the Tupac shooting at Quad Studios. But Jimmy Hinchman threatened a lawsuit against Chuck Phillips. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure, but essentially LA Times retracted his story. But the significant thing is he worked on this story for almost two years. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He's an investigative journalist. His specialty is corruption and entertainment. If somebody is going to get close on this case, it's going to be Chuck Phillips at the LA Times. He's working on it for almost two years. Okay. So the FBI report is bogus. The LA Times is financially struggling. They're going through layoffs and stuff like that. And they're like, we don't want this publicity. We don't want any lawsuits. So let's, sh we're just going to shut down this story. So Chuck Phillips ends up losing his job. Okay. And so many people in the hip hop media, in the media, they say, oh, this stuff is fake. So I'm just going to dismiss Chuck Phillips. Chuck Phillips has some fake stuff. Now, the scientists cannot do that. 
So we have to factor in the credibility of this journalist and something could be wrong. Something could be wrong with parts of the story or even significant parts of the story. I take issue with stuff outside of, based on my sources, I take issue with some stuff that's outside of the FBI 302 information from the informant or the prisoner uh, who gave Chuck Phillips that information. So I take issue with some of the reporting based on my own sources, right? But I'm not going to throw the Chuck Phillips investigative journalism in the trash. And there's a saying that goes to this is, uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And you could also say, hey, a bean pie can have too much sugar in the ingredients or too much cinnamon, right? So it's an imperfect pie, but that doesn't mean it's not a good pie. That doesn't mean I'm not going to eat the pie. It's just, it's not a perfect pie and I've tasted perfect pie before. And so, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. With this particular situation, if I'm going to really try to understand what happened with these murders, Chuck Phillips is my top five reference point. Okay. He's the first one where it sounds very simple to people in the street what happened. Right. But for the media, he's the first person in the media to really start digging into the Southside Crips and pointing a finger at the Southside Crips. He was the first person in the media to start despoking a lot of this stuff. Right. But part of his reporting was incorrect. And, and he defends himself. Chuck Phillips defends himself and says, my editors were pushing me to use the FBI 302 with the fake information. They put more of that information in than I had wanted. My reporting didn't really rely so much on the FBI 302 report. So people just throw the Chuck Phillips reporting in the trash because part of it was wrong or parts of it was wrong. And so that reporting, you know, Chuck Phillips, you know, he's taken all this information in from the Crips, is some of the witnesses. And I think that the Crips that he was talking to, they were embellishing. So some of the stuff they told Chuck Phillips was Biggie gave him the gun and Biggie and Diddy were going to give him a million dollars. They were going to give the Southside Crips, he didn't name out Kippy D, but they were going to give the Southside Crips, you know, a million dollars to kill Tupac and Biggie. So based on my own sources, very close to the situation, that's not what happened. So when I read Chuck Phillips' story, I'm impressed because what I know and the people I know, I'm impressed that this is coming out, but there's some problems with his story. So people just dismiss everything Chuck Phillips has to say. But over time, writing Chuck Phillips has come out and said, man, I want some of my credibility back because of what we know now, right? This is way back uh, 2002, 2007. Uh, he's saying that information over time has got us closer to my report. So he stands by the reporting with the exception of the 302. So Chuck Phillips, of course, I do think his reporting really went off the deep end in terms of, you know, hey, Biggie and Diddy, they wanted Tupac dead and they were going to give the Southside Crips a million dollars. No, that's not what happened. So the KOS theory of what happened 
is when the Southside Crips were telling Chuck Phillips that, hey, Diddy and Biggie, they wanted Tupac dead. You know, they were going to give us a, a million dollars. And I believe Keefe D has said that there was a million dollars transferred, but Zip got it. So I'm not going to get into all of that. Okay. I'm only going to tell you what I got from my sources. Okay. And so we know that the Southside Crips killed Tupac, but we don't know really. We're firm on who killed Tupac and is the Southside Crips, right? That's not really ambiguous. It's not really a big controversy. But what really happened in this situation, according to multiple sources, is that when Keefe D is talking all this million dollars and Diddy and Biggie, they're going to pay me a million dollars, blah, blah, blah. The real story is that after the Southside Crips murdered Tupac, okay, being in a gang and Keefe D was a big drug dealer in LA, right? You always got to look at the money. You know, when you're trying to understand a situation and you're breaking down the factors, you need to spend a considerable amount of time with the money. Okay. So when Tupac died and the Crips did not come out there, at least I'm not aware of information, the Crips didn't come out there for a gang war. Okay. They were just going out to Vegas to have a good time. Right. And so as far as my understanding, and so when their baby lane is jumped and they have to go get back on Tupac and Death Row, this is just like, hey, this something happened and it happens all the time across America, right? Someone is unlucky, some type of dispute, something happens and somebody, the guns are coming out. But if you're a gang and you know people, you know industry people, if the gang ends up killing Tupac in a East versus West war, what is the gang going to likely do after the murder? Okay, so what the gang is going to do, man, we killed Tupac. We killed Biggie and Puffy's enemy in this East Coast, West Coast war. So the gang is going to be thinking about particularly a businessman like Keefe D, a drug dealer like Keefe D. He's going to be thinking, how can I get paid? Okay, and you see this in terms of just look it up, extortion and hip hop. There's hip hop artists, labels who get extorted by people in the street. And so Chuck Phillips reporting that Diddy and Biggie wanted Tupac dead. And uh, there was a gun in the hotel room that was passed to the Crips. No, that, that, that's rejected. Okay. So according to my sources, the Southside Crips attempted to extort Biggie and Puffy. Okay, so after the murder, I want to make some money off of the murder. I just killed your enemies. You got all this war. You got all these safety problems. You're all scared. Man, I took care of your problem. Okay, so now I want a million dollars and I know you have it. So a gang, particularly when they're involved with millionaires and celebrities, they may turn to extortion. Okay, so the Southside Crips went back to Biggie and Puffy. And the information that came back to me from multiple sources is Biggie told him, he said, I didn't tell you guys. He told the Crips that they know through Zip. He told the Crips that I didn't tell you guys to kill Tupac. I didn't put you up to that thing. 
you know, that's your stuff over there. I didn't tell you to kill, so I'm not paying. So Biggie was being extorted by the Southside Crips. Okay, they wanted money after the murder. So, hey, something happened. We murdered. Somebody has a good idea, an enterprising gang and an enterprising gang boss. They're going to say, man, we just took care of that problem. Those guys over there should pay us. And so when Biggie refused to pay the extortion money, the Crips told him it's on. Okay, you don't want to pay me the money for the murder of Tupac. Biggie says, I didn't put you, I didn't tell you to go do that. The Southside Crips, they tell Biggie, it's on when you come out here. And when he came out there, it was on. So it makes sense that nobody has really done any time with these murders. The same people who killed Tupac killed Biggie. Let's keep it scientific. Peace. Peace. 